0: Well, hello, and I want to welcome you to Rockbridge Community Church, wherever you have gathered, whether that's Hickson, Dalton, Ringgold, Chatsworth, or Calhoun, or you're tuning in online. Uh, my name is Matt, just honored and privileged that you would uh, share about an hour uh, with us of your time this weekend, and this is <coughs> Veterans Day weekend, so I want to ask you to do something. Uh, all of our campuses, whether you're watching me live or, or through our um, video feed. If you are a veteran, would you mind standing up and letting us thank you for your service? If you don't mind, just we can stand up and we want to thank you for your service. Thank you. Yeah, fa- fan- fantastic. And always, uh, I always like to remind you uh, having a brother who's still active duty that right now in uh, parts unknown and all over the globe, there are sailors, soldiers, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, and women who are on watch, on duty, on station, on patrol, so we can have this thing we call freedom of religion and the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy in, uh, in our nation. So thank you for your service, veterans, and I hope uh, all of you, all of us, have a great weekend. So uh, let me tell you where we are. You helped us design a sermon series by texting in how you would complete this sentence, I believe in God, but, and and you texted in and we built a sermon series around that. And so today, because of the topic, I'm not going to take your questions during the sermon as we've done the past two weeks, I've really, you've sent a lot of questions on this topic, so most of the sermon, I'm hoping, is going to answer some of those questions. But if you still want to text in a question, I will answer those questions on Facebook Live on Tuesday afternoon at 3.15. You can log on and, and watch it live, or you can go back to our Facebook page and uh, catch the answers that way. But this is the number, 706-671-2171, Facebook Live Tuesday afternoon at 3 15 p.m. So here's the questions that you sent in for part three of I believe in God but. I believe in God but I wonder if God is really listening to my prayers. I wish answers would come easier and I I appreciate so much y'all's transparency and honesty. I think it's safe to wrestle with these tensions. Prayer seems like 50 50. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. And, and here's what I know most uh, uh, atheists pray. It's crazy. Uh, most people in the world pray. And probably all of us, in one season or one area or one time in another, have scratched our heads and wondered if prayer does <clears throat> really work. We've wondered if there really is a God who's listening and responding to our prayers. And and so there's people here today, and and let me just be honest, I want to acknowledge the tension that might be in your spirit. Uh, You might have given up on God, or you might have pain in your life because you feel like God let you down, and God didn't respond, and, and God didn't come through because of an unanswered prayer. And so I just want to acknowledge that. But there's another end of the spectrum. There's some of you here today, and this is the beautiful thing about Rockbridge. We have all walks of life. And some of you, you know, it's like you feel like you pray and things just happen. And when you tell your story around people like the first person I described, it makes them feel like, well, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with God and me? And so that's the tensions that we're going to try to speak to, the folks who have this joy of answered prayer and the folks who have the pain and frustration of unanswered prayer. And we're going to ask those questions. And and isn't part of our frustration, or at least why we scratch our heads, because we're not really sure how prayer works. And, And some of us... You know, you th- we grew up in. If you grew up in the Bible Belt or you went had any church background uh, in your life, it was like, well, maybe if you pray a certain way, it's like a combination lock that just opens up heaven and God listens to those prayers. And, and so it's all about your performance and all about learning some special language. And maybe you're supposed to pray in the King James English or something. And, and so prayer just gets all bundled up and garbled up, and then we're left with sort of questions. Hey, I believe in God, but I just don't know if it works, or, or maybe it's 50-50 at best. So, thankfully, God has written a book for us through people, uh, and so we're going to get into the book of 1 John. Actually, it's a letter, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be in about three or four verses. That's it. There's tons of stuff in the Bible about prayer, and and you can't build your theology or beliefs about prayer just with what Jesus said in John or what Paul says in Colossians. You kind of got to put it all together to understand it, and in my opinion, the best summation and the most concise summation of prayer comes from from John's first letter or John's first epistle, and we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Before you open your Bible or turn your Bible on, it's important that we note the, the, the theme of John's letter, which is all about Christians or the believer having confidence and assurance about a lot of different things. And so he's going to turn that to say, let's have confidence and assurance about prayer. So my hope today is is I'm praying for all of you who sent these questions in. I'm praying for us as we want to be a church of prayer, is that we could take this 50 50 and move it a little bit closer to 100% when it comes to how we view prayer. I'm going to read the whole passage all at once, then we're going to go back and break it down a little bit together. All right, First John 5, 13 through 15. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So God, he's writing to people who haven't died, and he's like, I don't want you walking around wondering if you're going to spend eternity with God or apart from God. I've written this so you can know that you know that you know. If this is a question for you, we will touch on it today. But the best place I can direct you is part one of this series of I Believe in God button. It's available if you want a CD or, of course, you can go to our website and watch it or download it online. So I'm writing to people so that you may know that you have eternal life. In light of that, there's confidence that you can have before God. So he says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And and if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. So look what He says. If we have assurance that we have eternal life, then we can have confidence and know and know that God hears and answers the prayers that we ask of Him. So He connects all those dots to give us confidence in prayer. Now what you see in these verses are really two things or two categories. You see a promise that God is making through, John, through John, as he writes First John. And the promise is, hey, if you have assurance of eternal life, then God hears your prayers if you pray according to his will. So you have a promise about prayers that get answered, which is the tension we're addressing here today, right? And you have a condition. Conditions have to be met for promises to be fulfilled. And that is where the tension comes in. And so I'm going to put a statement up here. And and, and And here's the challenge here. Because there's such pain when it comes to unanswered prayer that uh, sometimes I need to have a pastoral one-on-one moment with you. But I'm trying to cover a whole gamut of of topics. So please understand there are going to be some tense moments here. But we want to wrestle with those to understand the heart of God for prayer. So the tension that we feel when it comes to prayer is simply this. Will God do or give me what I want, or will I let God be God? That is the tension that we face when you wrestle with prayer. Because all of us could say, this is what I want God to do. And, 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 and if we're honest, we'll say, this is what I think God ought to do or should do. And if we're even radically honest, we'll say, if I were God, this is what I would do. And when that does not happen the way you think or the way you expect, there's the pain, there's the rub, there's the doubt, there's the confusion. Versus what 1 John is saying, we've got to go with the promise and the condition. And will we just let God be God? Now, God's going to be God whether you let him or not. But in our minds and in our faith, we have to let God be God. Now, I want to say this. I've been walking with Jesus since I was eight years old. This tension and this clarity did not come to me until I'm sitting in the hospital room with my wife who has leukemia and the doctor said, I'm not sure which way this is going to go. We'll know in about six to eight hours. Okay, that's when it sort of gets real. That's when the head to heart goes. I hesitate to even share that with you Because my wife did get healed, and some of you are sitting here, and yours did not. And and so I just want to acknowledge the hurt, the pain, the confusion around all of this. But I want to invite us into that tension. Because I think when we go into those tensions, God can do some really cool, deep works in our spirit and in our souls. Okay. So if I had to summarize what John is trying to teach us in those couple of verses, I would say it this way. God has promised to answer prayer, but with conditions. God has promised to answer prayer, but with conditions. So we have to understand the promise, and we have to understand the conditions in order to kind of sync this thing up and get prayer plugged in uh, so it doesn't malfunction or confuse us or lead us to doubt or even lead us away from God. So let's answer your questions. Here's the questions. So why do we pray? Here's one some of you sent in. If God knows everything, which He does, if God knows what I'm going to ask Him, why in the world do I have to ask Him? Great question. The reason that we pray is because God, as a king or God, as a leader, has ordained prayer. He said, My people need to pray. And he's done it for two reasons. Missional reasons, which means God has a mission that he wants to accomplish. We talked about that. Your campus pastor, your venue host talked about that in relation to our mission trips and our go opportunities that God has a mission he's trying to accomplish in the world. Rockbridge, we want to be a part of that, so we have partners and we go. We encourage you through our hope initiatives here locally. We encourage you to live sent. We encourage you to grow in your faith. All of that's God's mission, and God has simply ordained that he will accomplish his mission through or in response to the prayers of his people. The other, the other reason <clears throat> that God has ordained prayer is for relational purposes. God is a father, do you want your kids to talk to you, parents? Do you want your kids to ask you for things, even though you know what they need and you may know what they're going to ask before they ask you? I still love it when my 8-year-old or my, my uh, 12-year-old asks me for stuff that I know they're going to ask for, right? I st- because it's relational and it's amazing. So when, you, when I say the word ordained, I, I mean it this way. God has ordained that prayer is going to do some things relationally and missionally in the world. So when, I, when you say, well, why should we pray? To me, it's like me asking you, well, why do you breathe? God's ordained that your body takes in oxygen, right? And he's given you lungs and the capacity to take a breath. And he's given you perfect mixture of the chemistry of the air so that oxygen goes into your body and does what God created it to do. God's ordained you breathe to stay alive. God's ordained you pray to relate to him and accomplish his mission. All right? Second question about prayer is, well, whose prayers get answered? Whose prayers get answered? And we'll read it here. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before Him in prayer. So whose prayers does God promise to answer? The prayers of His kids, the prayers of His children. So if, a, if an unbeliever or an atheist prays, there is no promise that behind that prayer that God will respond to it the way the person wants to. There is, so if you are sitting here today kicking the tires of Christianity, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm not even sure if I am one of God's kids or not yet, then I can't sit here with a straight face on and tell you God answers your prayers. He's made no promise to do that. He has promised for his children to respond to their prayers. And, and let's understand why. This is very important if we are without Jesus in our lives, if we are without Christ, if we are apart from God, if we're not saved, if we're not whatever language you want to use to attach to the, I'm not a kid of God or I'm not a son or daughter of God, then here's what you have to understand. God's posture to you in his holiness and justice is one of judgment and wrath. Because you are holding the bag of your sinfulness. You are guilty and you will be condemned to spend eternity apart from him. So you are an object of his justice and God's perfect injustice. Now, The moment you become a child of God by responding to what Christ has done, part one of this series, looking to Christ as your Savior, as your salvation, as the one who will take your guilt away, take your punishment away, take your sin away, then God looks at you as an object of his mercy, his grace, his love, and he calls you a son or a daughter, and he's a good, good father, and so he answers prayers of his kids. So let's see this in Scripture so you understand more where we're talking about. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, a high priest who is a priest with someone who worked on behalf of the people. Jesus is the high priest who worked on your behalf, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession and let us approach the throne of grace. That's the th- so there's, two th- there's a throne of judgment, throne of grace, Right? We've approached with boldness, got nothing to fear, God, because I, I can call you father, I can call you dad, so that we may receive mercy and grace instead of wrath and judgment, and we get mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That's God's posture to his kids. Say it another way in the book of Romans. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Not the man upstairs, not generic Lord, not generic God. Abba, intimate Daddy, Father, right? So the spirit of God comes to be inside of you, and that spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. How does He help us in our weakness? For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. We just read about God's will in 1 John 5. We'll come back to that. So ding, ding, ding. That's two scriptural authors agreeing with something about prayer in relation to God's will. But the Spirit does what? Helps us in our weaknesses because we do do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to, here's our phrase again, the will of God. So let me say this. Sometimes we don't know how to pray for a person or a situation. It is perfectly okay to sit by faith at the throne of grace and just say someone's name or say a situation and then just sit in silence and let and trust what I just read, that the Spirit of God who lives inside the kids of God, the children of God, and let the Spirit speak to the Father. That's okay. In that instance, your body is the temple of God. And you just trust, God, I I don't know what you want to do with John. I don't know how to pray for John. But I just put John before your throne. You've prayed for John. And it's okay to pray without that level of certainty that you sometimes want. It's okay to do that. So why do we pray? Because God ordained it. Whose prayers get answered? Sons or daughters? People who have moved from wrath to grace by their faith in King Jesus, Jesus our Savior. And now the question is, okay, well, how do we pray? Or maybe what do we pray? Or, Or how does God answer prayer? Or what prayers does God answer? Clarity comes in 1 John 5, verse 15. If we ask anything according to His will, which we just read about with the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. So Paul and John agree and got to pray in accordance with God's will. And if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So God answers prayers that align with His will and agenda. This is probably where our rub comes the most. Because either you're saying... Well, what is God's will or agenda? Or you're confusing what you think God's will or agenda should be with what it actually is. So you have to understand this when it comes to prayer. Prayer is not a tool of manipulation, but a habit of submission. A lot of people who have asked me over the years really look at prayer As a way to manipulate God and get God on their side. It's like a rabbit's foot. It's like a superstitious thing. If I do this, then God ought to or God should. God, I've been in church. God, I've been praying. You owe me this. I will go back to point number two. God owes us absolutely nothing but wrath and justice and judgment. And yet he's given us life and grace and mercy in his son. Prayer malfunctions when you get away from those understandings. Prayer is not a tool of manipulation of God because you have to. What do we go back to the beginning? Let God be God. All right? Now, when we talk about the will of God, there's two areas, I think, to keep in mind or to keep in focus. The two areas are this. God has a will that you need to align with in terms of our character. And for that, we have to look in the mirror That God does not always answer prayers because something in our character, our lifestyle, our behavior is out of alignment with his will. Or we go from being out of fellowship with him. There's things my kids, if my kids are in trouble, they ask me for certain things and the answer is no. Because they're not ready yet or, or there's a consequence or something like that. So God has a will for our character, so we have to look in the mirror. The other part of God's will, which is where we want to focus, is the outcome or the result. Hey, God, I want to get this job. Hey, God, I need a date on Friday night. You know, help me out, God, right? So, So we want a result. You got to look in two places. When we talk about aligning with the will of God, I have to look in the mirror. Am I walking in the will of God? And I have to look in the Word of God to know the will of God. Prayer, apart from the Word of God, is impotent because you can't know the will of God without knowing the Word of God. Okay, now some of you have sent this in already and I've heard you, you've said, I believe in God, but I don't know about anything. I don't think the Bible's the deal. i got concerns about the Bible. You can come back next week and we're going to talk about I believe in God, but i got concerns or doubts or questions about the Bible. But the Bible is foundational for us to know the will of God and understand the will of God. So let me zero in and talk about our character. I get what I'm about to share with you from a, 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 a preacher, not a preacher anymore, but a, but a Christian speaker and author named Francis Chan. So he talks about this. Uh, when his prayers go unanswered, he tends to look in about four areas, and, here, and I've adapted a little bit, but here's what they are. When I know something is a sin, but I don't fight it. Notice I did not say sinless. There's not anybody in this room, yours truly included, that is sinless because we all need a Savior. But if I know something is a sin and I am committing that sin or I tend to commit that sin and I don't fight that sin with the weapons of grace that God has given me, then I am out of fellowship with God and I can no longer rest assured that my prayers will get answered. So you can know, now some sins we don't even know about, right? Your wife comes up to you and says, hey, that hurt my feelings. You were really rough with those words, or you really lambasted your kids, Matt. I think you exasperated them. And Ephesians and Colossians tell us dads not to exasperate our kids. And I'm blind to the fact, so I didn't know that I sinned. She tells me I'm a sinner in that fashion, and I'm like, you know, either either I get defensive or I get humble, and then I can fight my sins against my kids or against my spouse. You got it? Understand that, right? So that we have some sins that we're blind to. That's why we have other believers in our lives and godly women and godly men around us, right? That's why we need church and community and small groups to take those blind spots off. But when I know what I am doing or what I've done or what I have a tendency to do is a sin and I refuse to fight it, then do not be surprised if prayer has problems too for you. Another character area is if I, and this comes from 1 Peter 4, if I have unaddressed marital strife. Or Jesus said, hey, if you're at the altar doing business with God and you remember your brother's got something against you, but quit your business with God and go get right with your brother. So he connects horizontal relationships with vertical, right? So if I'm not addressing problems with my wife or problems with my husband or problems with a guy at work, God suddenly says, well, prayer might not work the way you think it should work. Another area from Isaiah 58 is when we fail to care for the poor. <clears throat> Isaiah, in Isaiah 58, go read that whole chapter. It is amazing. God's like, don't even, he's like, quit coming to church. Don't even worry about it. Quit fasting. If you're not going to care for the least of these, <whistles> heaven goes silent. Heaven goes silent. Okay? So Isaiah 58, and then James chapter 4 tells us don't pray with wrong motives. Don't pray with wrong motives. So when it comes to character, these are the four areas that when we look in the mirror, we kind of have to self-assess and make sure we're walking with the Lord. Now let's go to outcomes and results, because at the end of the day, we're like, hey, I want to get what I want to get, right? Or I want to get what I'm praying for. All right, so what do we do with that? All right, so here's the challenges. Most of us do this. We pray for our predetermined positive outcome. All right, now I do not want to be insensitive, but I have to say this to kind to of to make the point. Someone gets cancer, we immediately rush and pray for healing. You all did that for my wife. I'm eternally grateful. Okay, but w- w- someone's up for a promotion, and we automatically pray for our predetermined positive outcome is they should get the promotion, pray and ask God. All right, so we just rush to that predetermined positive outcome. And so I want to challenge that a little bit. And I want to read you a story of a mother whose daughter was born with a fatal genetic condition. She says this. I really began to think about prayer during the season in which we were caring for our daughter Hope, who was born with a fatal genetic disorder. I remember getting a call from the church secretary saying, we've put you on the prayer list, and we're asking people to pray that God will do a miracle and heal hope. Honestly, it was a little awkward to tell her that that was fine, but it's not what we were praying. Our reluctance to pray in this way had nothing to do with whether or not we thought God is powerful enough to do that kind of miracle, because this is the God who spoke the world into being, so there's no question He could do it. So how were we praying for our daughter, Hope? I wish I could tell you that I was a great woman of prayer in those difficult days. Truth is, I wasn't. I was really grateful that so many people were praying for us, no matter how or what they were praying, because I didn't have many words, mostly just groans and tears. I was grateful to know that the Holy Spirit was interceding for us. When I was able to actually sputter out a prayer, it was shaped most profoundly by something a friend said to me on the phone a couple of days after Hope was born. She said that I could be confident that God would accomplish the purpose he had for Hope's life in the number of days that he gave her. So in my prayers, I began to welcome him to accomplish that very purpose. I prayed that my own sin and selfishness and small agendas would not hinder his purpose. I prayed that his purpose for Hope's life would be enough for me, even a joy. To me. Now that's a tough one. That's a tough one, right? But I told you at the beginning. When it comes to prayer. You do have to let God. Be God. And then you have to press in. <clears throat> and we have to say. I cannot rush to pray for my predetermined positive outcomes. I must pray for what God has promised. And I find what God has promised in His Word and through His Holy Spirit. That is where I find out what the will of God is. That is where I can find out what God has actually promised to do. And I've told you this last week, and I say this with as much love and truth combined as I can. Not everybody lives to 100 Not everybody escapes bankruptcy, not everybody escapes cancer, not every child lives into their teenage years, and nowhere in Scripture has God promised those things. Will we let God be God? And when you are faced with a challenge, like a hope, you have to say, will I judge God By this situation that I'm facing, that He's not responding to, apparently, or from my perception, or will I look at God through the lens of the cross? All we deserve is judgment and wrath. In Christ, what do we get? Grace, mercy, and love for eternity. I'll read you another story. This comes from George Mueller, probably the one who's taught me the most about prayer than the Bible he founded orphanages in England, never asked anybody for money because he, like, he felt like the Lord told him, pray and I'll provide. So he never went into debt and never asked for money. And he always had enough to feed the orphanage, orphans. When he was about 60, his wife became ill and he prayed for her to be healed and she died. And after having thousands of prayers answered, here's what he wrote about his wife's death. <coughs> The last portion of Scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those that walk uprightly. I said to myself with regard to the latter part, no good thing will He withhold from those from them that walk uprightly. He said, I am a poor, worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ And I do not actively live in sin, but I am walking uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. And here's the phrase. I was satisfied with God. That's another hard one, because we've all know somebody or experienced that ourselves. But what Mueller's testimony reminds us of is we let God be God, and God is enough. Or as I like to say it mathematically. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. That's how worthy He is. Now, let's zoom back out and ask this question. What has God actually promised? I found about five things in large categories that have tons of prayer promises underneath them. But I found about five things. God has promised to save anybody who calls on Him in faith. God has promised to give us more of Himself. God has promised to make us more like Christ. God has promised to give us what we need if we seek Him first. And God has promised to spread the gospel globally and ethnically. We're a diverse faith, geographically and racially. And God has promised to do that. I really couldn't, I struggled, and I couldn't find anything else like that. So we need strength and wisdom that's under make us more like Christ. I've got a a child who's not a Christian, and I have been praying for them for 10 and 15 years. God has promised to spread the gospel, and God has promised to save those who call him on faith. Has God promised to save everybody? I'll go back to George Mueller. He prayed for some of his lost friends 19 years, 7 years, 18 months. And he said some of them were radically saved and some were not. But he said this I can't find anywhere in Scripture where God promises that everybody's going to be saved. So, what do you do with that? You have to let God be God and realize. What has he promised? To save those who call on him in faith. To give us more of himself when we ask. To make us more like Christ. To give us what we need if we seek him first. To spread the gospel globally and ethnically to increasing numbers of people. This is why we have to know the word of God to pray in accordance with the will of God. This is why our church, five days a week, will text you a devotional that aligns somewhat with the sermon. And you can sign up by texting TWG to 706-671-2171 to help you with that. God will provide and we will align with the will of God. The last question and one that we all struggle with is when does God answer prayer? When have you ever thought about that? Because you thought it should have been three days ago, three years ago, and it still hasn't happened. Well listen, John says it this way, and if we know that he hears, and who does he hear, prayers of his kids, prayers of his kids who ask according to his will, then whatever we ask, we know that he, we have what we have asked of him, he's going to answer. So there's a couple of things that come out because okay, so it doesn't say when he's going to answer. It just says we have what we've asked for. If We pray as His kids if we pray in alignment with His will. So here's what we have to remember. God never does nothing with prayer. Never does nothing with prayer. There's a scene in Revelation in the the throne room of heaven that talks about the cumulative effect of prayer coming up before God as an aroma like incense. And that God hears it after that accumulative effect. There's no date given So there's a cumulative effect, but God never does nothing with prayer. There's something else we have to remember. One of the conditions of prayer, and Jesus tells a whole parable about it in Luke 18, is persistence. You have to pray with persistence. So I'm going to confess this. You sort of pay me, right, to be a professional Christian. I have just revamped my entire prayer life because of dissatisfaction, frustration, and too many unanswered prayers. And I realized, God, either the problems with you or me. Guess who won that one? And one of the conviction points for me is I went back and I looked at old journals of how I was praying around the time we were starting Rockbridge and for our first five, six years of existence. And I looked at my journals over the last three or four years. And I was was not praying with persistence. I have not been. I confess that to you. I'd pray for things one time, forget about it. I'd pray for things here, and then, oh, I was supposed to be praying about that. I promised to do that six months ago. I had to confess. I had to repent. We have to pray with persistence. <clears throat> we go to George Mueller, who says this right. I have been waiting on God for certain blessings for which I have daily prayed for for nineteen years and six months without one day's interruption. Wow. Still the full answer is not yet given concerning the conversion of certain individuals, though in the meantime, I have received many thousands of answers to prayer. I've also prayed daily without intermission or without break for the conversion of other individuals, 10 years, 6, 7 years, 4 years, 3 years, 2 years, for others about 18 months, and still the answer is not yet granted. But he kept on praying why because just like you breathe to get air god has ordained that you pray to accomplish his mission and relate to him as a good good father you also have to remember this sometimes prayer just comes in strange packaging you're thinking it's going to be this big old honking package from under the christmas tree it's a little bitty one it's still an answer It's still an answer. It's still an answer. And then finally we remember this. Sometimes we have to remember that God has a different timeline. We want Him to answer prayers while we're still on earth. Some prayers will only be answered in eternity. So um, I learned a lot from my wife And her faith, when she had leukemia. And she said two things that have stuck with me during that time. When we were praying for her to be healed, she said two things. She said, Matt, always remember the greatest miracle is my salvation. The greatest miracle is that we deserve wrath and judgment, but we get grace and mercy and love and the privilege of calling God our Father. So the greatest miracle would not be whether she got healed from leukemia or not. It was that she is a daughter of King Jesus. That was the first thing. And the second thing she said is, Matt, one way or another, I'll be healed. Either here on earth, or when I go be with Jesus. She let God be God. And God is a God who answered prayers. Will you let God be God? And will you pray? And will you pray? And will you pray? Let us all pray together. Father, thank you that I can call you Father. God, there may be folks here right now who want to call you Father. But first, they need to call on Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord. And I pray, if that's stirring in their spirit now, that they would do that right now. And Father, undoubtedly, all of us walked in here maybe with something we're praying for or we need prayer for. And I pray that today we understand a little bit more of how prayer works and how we can relate to you through prayer. And see you respond in grace and mercy. Because we, your children, have taken you at your word and prayed those things that you've promised to do. So God, I pray for the hurting, for the doubting, for the sick, the hopeful, the confused, the anxious, the scared. I pray for the teenager, the senior citizen, the middle-aged mom, the single mom the newly married couple, the new parents, the businessman, the shift worker. I pray for your kids that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.